Here it goes. Oh my God. We're going so loose right now. I'm just going to talk right into the microphone. 2014's Dying of the Light, a Paul Schrader joint. <laughs> wow. Where to begin? And I don't say that because there's so much to say. I feel like there. <laughs> no, I feel like if anything, there's not enough to say. There's definitely not. Especially this- for a movie helmed by. A, a legend well not just a legend but a legend that has like a lot of insane opinions about a lot of yeah, things a provocateur yeah sure if you want to say that i mean you know i feel like his, I, I did okay <laughs> you literally said it <laughs> um yeah i feel like like nowadays in like a post incel post joker world uh he's some of his stuff comes across as like a little more problematic than it used to um yeah but well, it used to be like Travis Bickle used to be like a novel figure in like fiction or cinema. It was like shining a light on a, you know, the disaffected white man uh, or disaffected. Is that the word that I want? Sure. I'll yeah, accept sure. it. Um, yeah. And now with the Internet, like, yeah, we we're familiar so, um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I don't know, but I do like, someone should reboot taxi driver as like a four chan, um, <laughs> like parable or something. <laughs> it's, it's just, but it's about posting. Yeah. Dude. I mean, I am excited to talk about Schrader because I, he's fascinating. Um, if you don't know, he wrote taxi driver, which of course was directed by Scorsese. He co-wrote raging bull. Yeah. Uh, he, he wrote, he wrote and directed, uh, blue collar, blue collar, which is a fantastic movie. That's a crazy movie, man. Uh, hardcore, which is yeah, also an also insane movie, which we talked, I feel yeah, like that's we've, come we've, up with, yeah, we talked about episodes. this before. Um, yeah. um, and he did, a uh, American gigolo, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, anyway, and like various other ones that I'm forgetting, but he's had a, he's had a really long and interesting career full of a lot of different types of projects. Yeah. And he's cat people. Have you seen cat people? Yes. Recently. Dude, that movie is bizarre. Dude, that and American Gigolo have great Giorgio Moroder soundtracks. Uh, if, uh, anyone out there wants like good music to drive around and feel cool to, (laughs) you can do some baby powder. Uh, you could, you could rail some lines of baby powder and, uh, and drive in a convertible to uh to uh, Marauder's soundtrack to Cat People. Yeah, it's also got um that uh Cat People putting out fire with gasoline oh, yeah. by Bowie. Gigolo has um uh Call uh, Me yeah, Blondie. Right, right. Um anyway, all of that's great. I I think he's he's interesting because he like he rubbed shoulders with and was like a necessary part of like so much of the like new cinema of the seventies, like the people who get touted as greats and legends like Scorsese and, you know, I don't know, uh, Coppola and, uh, but he sort of his his career as a director. Like, I feel like he's never turned in a movie that everyone just agrees was like, perfect classic um you know it's it they it has it all has a lot of the uh complexities of like the new cinema of the 70s and like weird grittiness and it takes it all takes risks and stuff but like i mean the the ones that we listed blue collar hardcore american gigolo um are probably his best movies and i still don't feel like any of them is like you know above a a minus, yeah, a big B yeah. Plus. I, I would. I'm, I'm trying to think. Even my favorite of those is probably still just a B plus, A minus. And part of the reason that I like him so much, I think, is because every time I see one of his movies, even if I'm rewatching one I've already seen, I always expect to get more out of it. <laughs> and rather than feel disappointed at the end, I'm just happy for what weird nuggets yeah. I got, which is 
an interesting feeling because mostly I would just be disappointed. Yeah. I mean, he gets, especially in those movies and Cat People, which is really a mess of a movie, but like he, he gets there at, in style. Yeah. And, um, and I mean, he's, he's got a ton of style. Like you can definitely, that's one thing you can say about yes. him. And even something like First Reform, that is the yeah. biggest downer ever. Yeah. It's stylistically a downer. Right. You know what I mean? Like it's got, it's got a aesthetic through line, like across the entire movie. Yeah. And it, he's, which I would actually argue that is maybe his own, his most almost perfect film. I think it might be. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny that it took him until he was like 80 to get there. Right. But. And I still like, I still feel like that movie. Yeah. Part like by design, I came away from it being like, huh, you know, yeah. <laughs> like yeah. you're, you're like, that was it, huh? Like not, not, Oh, that was it. Would I even have liked it more if it had ended on like a nice button? You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. I notice in all of those movies and this movie, there, there's, I think part of it is his approach to story. Same with Taxi Driver too. Not true of Raging Bull, but same with Taxi Driver is- Well, I think there, Scorsese hemmed him in with Raging yeah. Bull, so. Yeah. But I think he, the stories are always kind of, they have like one or two ideas basically. And then they- they you start at the start and you get to the end of that idea if you know what i mean like taxi driver or taxi driver is like a pretty straight just like downfall and we take a couple like detours of how how we get there like it's it's inter- i don't want to downplay the brilliance of that story but the what it's examining feels like one or two big ideas that he sort of like uh looks at the complexity of and the the story sort of it feels like a a motor to get you from here to there as opposed to say i mean this is a big big contrast but apocalypse now or or any even something like uh jaws or or any of that other stuff which to me feel more like they have several kind of big ideas and then there's a story that i don't know there there's just something less straightforward about uh those screenplays than traders do you do you know what i'm saying yeah yeah like i do you like do you think part of the problem is the ones is the ones he directs he doesn't have a, another kind of mind i, uh, I think so yeah to like counterbalance yeah because like I, or like hardcore it's like it's sort of one idea it, it like and which is to say like the storyline itself all the the narrative beats that it, it all follow like just the path of one idea which is like What's the actor's name? In Peter that? Boyle? Or no, uh, um, oh my gosh, uh, Patton. Yeah. Yeah, what's his name? Patton himself. Patton himself. Uh, George C. Scott. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. George C. Scott's daughter uh, runs off. He discovers in an iconic scene that uh, she's doing porn out doing porn in California with scumbags like Peter Boyle, then he wants to go find her. And that is the story. And it gets to a certain place. Like it, it doesn't necessarily land where you think it will, but that's it. And same with, I mean, first reformed sort of, there's something that triggers a character's sort of journey from A to B and then where they land on that journey. Like I think he, he said too about, I don't want to give anything from that movie away, but he said that he didn't even know how it was going to end when they were doing it, whether uh, Ethan Hawke's character was going to commit an act of terrorism or not. And I feel that way of, of dying of the light too. There's yeah, definitely. An, except well, I, as we'll get into. Um, that's not his fault entirely. Yeah. And, and I feel like we don't even get the, uh, the satisfaction of the character getting from, you know, inciting incident point A to point B, like it, because it just feels so undercooked. Yeah. And I was surprised by the short runtime of it too. Yeah. How long was it? Like, I feel like it was 90 ish minutes, like almost right on the dot. Yeah. And, and yeah, I think you're right. And it feels faster than that. Even like I was surprised. I, I checked how much time I had left during the last scene where he, okay, now we're entering spoilers for this movie, but like the last scene where he comes back to kill him, right? Right. I was like, I feel like this movie's almost over, but I also feel like I've only been watching it for like 40 minutes. Which is like, I don't think we've ever said that on this podcast before about a movie that's so bad that it feels too short. <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean? Well, that's the thing because I didn't actually want to see another half hour of it, but I feel like they could have gotten more out of it. Well, yeah, as opposed to, uh, you know, American Gigolo or First Reformed or whatever, where you end, where you go, huh, that's it. Like yeah. this one, you truly, it's like, wait, that's, the that's end. it? Yeah. Like uh-huh. it, it feels so just criminally undercooked. The reason for that is, uh, as or at least 
in Paul Schrader's telling that um, it, the final cut got taken away from him and it got edited by a, a bunch of... Uh, they not only edited it, they didn't even let him see the final cut. Yeah. And they also uh, hired and had someone compose their own soundtrack. Right, right. Um, and they, from his telling, not just his telling, actually, yeah, but also it, from Cage's Cage. and Anton Yelchin's and uh, the producer, the guy that did Drive. Yeah, Nicholas Winding Refn. Yeah, and also the cinematographer did, right. did an extensive interview, I think in American Cinematographer or in some trade magazine where he was like, oh, yeah, the, they, they messed up my entire color yeah. palette. Like, none of it was right. So pretty much everyone involved in the production like says that right. the movie was ruined. Yeah. And, uh, and all of that I found very interesting. Uh, I guess let's talk about the movie that was released. Let's talk about dying of the light first and, and what's there. Cause it's sort of a lot of nothing. I, I think. Well, and <laughs> it's weird. Cause in typical Schrader fashion, it starts out with a concept where you're like, Oh damn. Right. Right. So quick plot wise, uh, cage plays a CIA lifer. Um, who finds out that he has frontal lobe, frontal temporal dementia. Yeah. Which is like a more aggressive form of Alzheimer's and, and the doctor gives him like three years to live or something. And in the meantime, and cage can already feel the symptoms coming on. Right. It's like mood swings and he forgets the, you know, hyper dementia, dementia on steroids, Um, dementia from space. And he has like crazy overreactions to like minor things and, and he wanders off and all, all, all that sort of stuff. And then, which all sounds perfect for a cage role. Right. Which on paper. (laughs) (laughs) Um, anyway, so he's trying to keep this, uh, secret of his sickness from the CIA so that, you know, they don't, they don't, fire him uh and he's friends in his office with uh anton yelchin's character which can i say yeah he's he's like our age or younger i know and his name is milt well i think that he was written i my theory is that the character was written as much older possibly even older than cage's i think so too because his name is milt well not (laughs) First of all, his name is Milt. Secondly, a lot of the lines he has, I'm like a 25 to 30 year old, like would not be saying. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And yeah. um, Yeltsin does it like a decent. He's fine. fine, I've seen him in things where I think he's a lot better. Oh, absolutely. Um, But he, he does a pretty good job. Serviceable job and a sort of nothing role. And I think the thing that I kind of like about him and Cage's relationship. Well, first of all, I think the best scenes in the movie are the scenes with them together. It's probably true. Um, It's sort of a low bar. Yeah. But but to be fair, it's they, they both really bring their a game to it. Um, I don't think the material quite stacks up. And I also obviously think that the, whatever happened in post really Uh also messed with it. Um, um, but they're enjoyable as like a as a quote unquote couple. Sure, you sure. Know? They've um, got some, yeah, a good dynamic. Uh, and uh, yeah, so so basically, um, we we find out in flashback that Cage had been tortured, had been captured and tortured twenty two years earlier, um, and and the guy that was torturing him for uh, like a, the name of a mole that didn't really exist. Mm-hmm. That this whole part also is convoluted. So yeah. I don't know how much they messed with that in post and how much Schrader just didn't flesh out at all. Yeah, I, uh, whatever. And but it's it doesn't matter really yeah, ultimately. And so he thinks that this uh, Muslim Brotherhood terrorist Mohammed Banir, thank you, played by uh, Alexander Kareem. Oh, Kareem. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so he thinks that he's still alive 22 years later and he's basically had like a vendetta against like him and has been trying to find him. Yeah. Well, he took a freaking cricket bat to his head yeah. and, uh, snipped off part like of part ear. of his ear, which leaves Cage wearing this weird looking <laughs> prosthetic through the whole movie. Which I love cause he uses it as like, you know, like Cage loves to get into the physicality of his characters and I feel like he uses the ear yeah. like, to help him act. Uh, probably. Uh, yeah. Which, which was fun, kind of fun to watch sometimes. Yeah. Um, There's also a part where he's in disguise and he takes a prosthetic normal looking ear off of his prosthetic fake ear. <laughs> anyway, so <laughs> so if you, if you ever wanted a movie where you see that happen. <laughs> this might be the only one. Um, but yeah, so he's, he's got this diagnosis. Uh, Yelchin um, is like, oh, we got to meet up. And they meet at uh, Ruby Tuesdays, 
which I which, enjoyed. Which was a great scene. It was also, Cage called it Diamond Tuesdays yeah. in the first uh, part, whereas, oh, he's demented. Yeah, they meet up there and Yelchin is like, hey, we have uh, clues that this guy, Mohammed Benir, is actually still alive. The CIA had written him off as dead because they had found a headless body at some point after. Um, Which, uh, to me, one of the best cage line readings of the whole movie, where his the CIA director tells him, well, we found the body, and Cage just yells, I didn't see a head! Yeah. <laughs> it's a good moment. Um, but uh, Mohammed Benir has a blood disease, a rare blood disease called thalassoma. Thal- Thal- Th- thalassemia or something Th- like Thalassemia. That? Oh, okay. Um, and uh, so they tracked Sorry some- to any physicians listening yeah, to this. So. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're yelling at their headphones right now. <laughs> um, they find uh, evidence that he's been, that somebody's been getting all this medicine for thalassemia, thal- whatever, for his disease. And uh, they think it's, and it's a Kenyan dude or whatever. And so, okay, so now Cage has the inciting incident, which is brain disease, and uh, this uh, dude is still alive, and then he wants to go kill him. And he Basically, d- Anton does. Yelchin helped, f- figures out a way to help him get, you know, get to where he's going right. and how to set it up so that he can, he can sabotage uh, him, basically. Yeah, so he, he, they go to... Uh, Bulgaria? Bulgaria. Yeah. Uh, conveniently, he happens to be in one of those places where... Uh, it's extremely it's cheap extremely to film. It's extremely cheap to film. <laughs> and uh, the, over there, we meet an old flame of cages. Um, so this character I had a bit of a problem with because yeah. she seems to just have a fixer for any situation that uh-huh. they're in. Yes. She's like, oh, I've got a guy for that. And, and, and so people just... Like they just figure it out. Like someone comes over right. and they're just like, okay, here's a fake passport. And then someone comes over and they're like, all right, I basically like Mrs. Doubt fired you so that like no one can tell who you really are. Well, and, 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 and yeah. she just, and she also has someone that like she knows in the Bulgarian police that she like uses their name to get information from someone. It's just like, I feel like this was just lazy writing. It is. I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, they show up, they meet her and she's like, uh, oh yeah, I can, we, I can help you get you in touch with this doctor who's been prescribing this medicine. And then also like we were old flames and they kiss, but then that doesn't really go anywhere. And then like the next time she shows up, she's like, oh yeah, I can help you. Uh, now that you found the doctor, uh, you want to dress up as a doctor. And I know someone who is like a master of makeup and he'll, and then she's just pretty much gone from the movie. Yeah. And this is, uh, Irene Jacob, or you say her first name in a French way, but I don't okay. know how. There's there's an accent over the E. And uh, she was in uh, Au Revoir, oh my God, Au Revoir, Los Enfants. Oh, okay, yeah. And Three Colors Red, and she's um, great. And she, I think... Of, Again, she does what she can with the material. Yeah, she's, she's good in uh, a role that isn't really a person. But I think like you were saying, like it, it's all that stuff isn't really interesting because of that thing that, because of Schrader's, he, it's like he just wants to get to that end point. He doesn't, he doesn't use any of the incidents or things that happen that could be full of like some sort of um, narrative like uncertainty right. uh, or tension. He doesn't use those. It's it's I really like, like we're just like stepping. It's like this in the same way that Taxi Driver in a good way feels like you're just sort of tumbling toward this foregone conclusion. Like that's just sort of how this feels too. Right. It's like he wanted to get to the final scene like showdown yeah. and didn't want to waste time with all the intricacies of how one would actually get there which is actually which is actually the interesting the, part of the, the movie. story yeah, yeah. Right, right exactly it's not the interesting part of the movie it's the story of the movie right. because i actually misspoke i think the interesting part of the movie is the concept and the setup for the final showdown i think so too but the way that you would flesh that out to an hour and a half or two hours mm-hmm. or whatever would be through all these mechanics of well, the of how he gets to where he's going and that sort of thing. Right. Well, all all of the like weight of the concept f- is supposed to fall on this confrontation. It's all falling on this one scene. I, everything that leads up to that showdown could be things that bring out different shades or different questions about the this setup because it's like okay, we have a CIA lifer who is, it's sort of set up like he's 
America or or the CIA itself or whatever has been his faith and his religion. And now that's, I guess, called into question, but nothing is done with that. It seems like there's some sort of idea there, but it's no, yeah, it all falls on this final scene. So he, he dress cage dresses up as this doctor, um, looks ridiculous puts on a really strange accent so like this movie has it i think there is like one good gem of this movie that Uh we can pull out of it is the final act where cage is wearing a fake white beard (laughs) and puts on a quasi european accent supposed to be romanian but it 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 really is just a weird just yeah yeah, it's just a combination of a bunch of weird, like random European. It, words. It's just foreign. It's yeah, just right. Because it's really it sounds weird, but, the way that nobody ever talks. But it truly, but I've Cage as this Romanian doctor is truly the epitome of I think Cage using all the physicality and mm. the accent to do the acting for him. <laughs> Yeah. You know what I mean? Which really ends up, yeah. you end up with some extremely stilted and bizarre yes. like performances from him because you're like, what is he doing? Right. Why are you doing it this way? I thought Cage in this movie was, for most of it, was uh, middling to bad. Like, it's, he, yeah. he, it's not a good performance from him in any respect, which is, is weird. But when he, I think you said it perfectly when he's in that disguise, he just, he lets the accent and the disguise do all the work and you're watching you're it's, it's so bizarre. Yeah. I actually, one of my notes really picks up once the Romanian accent kicks in. <laughs> yeah. I, I like noted it. <laughs> so he finally meets up with Alexander Kareem, who I think also turns in a pretty bad performance. I thought, I, but but his character is just like Muslim terrorist, right? Like, there's not really a whole lot going on there. Yeah, which yeah, you're right. Is another big yeah. issue that I have with this movie. I understand Schrader's from a different generation, so uh-huh. like maybe you can kind of like let it slide a little bit. But the the bad guys are just like terrorist characters, right? And and and, beca- and you have a you have a character like Cage who is fleshed out. And here's where I think that you really could have gone further on the other side with with um, with yeah. uh, Muhammad's character is that the interesting thing is you have two men that are dying. Right. And they know they're dying and they know they have a limited window to take care of whatever they ha- has been bothering them for decades of their life. And as uh, uh, Alexander Kareem's character points out, like they he's like, I don't have faith in Islam anymore. Um, but you know, I gave my life to it and you know, you gave your life to America right? and like, and so yeah, this, that should have some sort of weight or even, I mean, whatever you think of that as like, even that feels kind of hackneyed to me, but like you, you could do something with it, but yeah, his, his, he, you're right. He's just a terrorist. And even like Cage's character is just the CIA just man the C- with the brain disease. Like he's just the sum of his parts. Yeah. And, and there are a couple scenes, uh, not even whole scenes, just moments really where cage, you can see cage, you know, acting mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the dementia. Um, yes. And I just wish like as, as good as they are for like nuggets of cage acting, I think the movie really would have benefited from actually seeing in more detail and over time the degradation that the disease yeah. is taking on him. Yeah, it you doesn't, it, it, you don't have enough time with it to like for it to carry any weight. And yeah, and you see, and even the scenes where it comes out, like they're acted pretty poorly, they're shot and edited poorly. Like they, they it just, it's very heavy handed. Yeah. Like he uses, like, you know, the screen will blur and the mu- music or a sound will become really loud and there'll be like a color, like Smear, shit. Or, yeah. yeah. It just and it's of, just, it just feels really basic. And it feels like, you know, when people try to simulate people tripping on drugs in movies, yeah, yeah. it felt like they were trying to do that, but for someone like slowly losing their mind yeah. and it, it just didn't translate. Like, and maybe it's just something that you can't like, maybe, you know, maybe that doesn't come through. Well, I think like the horror of dementia is that 
either you'd feel very frustrated because you can't pull on whatever word or whatever you're getting, or in moment, there's a part where like he hallucinates that his phone is ringing. Right. And he, he like picks it up and Anton Yelchin walks in and he just has to play it off. You know, watching it that he's hallucinating because the music swells and the, it gets all weird looking and the sound, the phone ringing sound has like, it's all this reverb on it or something. And so it's just, it feels like a fucking TV movie. It feels cheap. And like the actual horror of that would be like picking up the phone and having no, just thinking it's real right. and having no one be there. Which and also then, could be communicated by them just playing the scene out as like an objective third right. person. Like, like the camera is like a third person and not like trying to get into his head. Right. And, and all of this, like it doesn't, it's not just, it's not that it feels lazy in particular. It's that it feels rushed. It feels in a rush to get to this conclusion that doesn't pay off. And, and it's so narratively weird because Cage finally meets with Alexander Kareem. They have this sort of talk. Um, yeah, in, like, in typical Schrader fashion, it's two characters just like proselytizing to each other. <laughs> yeah. And, you're, you know, it's like, it's like when the bad guy explains the whole plan yeah, like, at exactly. the end of the movie. They're just talking back and forth. And you're like, neither of you are doing what you are here to do. Right. Both personally and also to service the, the movement forward of the plot. Like it was just like a seven minute scene where they were just like talking to each other from yeah. across the room. It was, it was weird. And, and, and this is also a thing that, that happens a lot with like Schrader's scripts specifically. Like, uh, okay. So to use another cage example, bringing out the dead. Right. I'm sure. Wait, did he write that? He did. Okay. Yeah. That's when we talked about him before. Yeah. So okay. I'm sure that, um, like the script in a vacuum when you read it is probably like really, really good mm -hmm. and like really mm -hmm. thought provoking, but it was too wordy sure. to be properly translated to like a film. And mm -hmm. I think I, I like that film to a certain extent. I think we can both yeah. agree that there were problems with it. Yeah. Um, but that scene, this, the scene in dying of the light with cage and Alexander Kareem's characters like facing off that scene felt like it's just like, I understand via the words what you're getting at yeah. but they're talking for too long right. and no real person in that situation would use that those, kind of language those words for yeah. sure no it feels stagey and uh just yeah it, it riderly it's too riderly bringing out the dead now that i think about it has the same sort of narrative thing it's it's just the idea that you're really tired when you're working an amp, uh, as an EMT and it's hard. Well, and there's even hallucinations that happen in that movie that, that were handled better than the hallucinations oh, yeah. in this movie, which again, maybe because Scorsese was directing it. Yeah. Like I think maybe Schrader just needs someone else to kind of like, like rein in his ideas. Yeah, I think so. And give them some shape because I think a lot of the shape of bringing out the dead comes from the style. Right. Okay, so he's Cage is there to kill him with uh, a razor blade in his belt, which is cool. Um, and then his dementia just kicks into overdrive, and he's sort of flashing back and hallucinating to the first back twenty two years ago when uh, Alexander Kareem was torturing him. Cage wouldn't give up the mole or whatever, and so it all sort of and he basically freaks out. He's like, "Okay, see you later. Never mind. Bye." And then goes back to the hotel, tells Anton Yelchin that he, he cut his throat. They go to the hotel. They're like, okay, cool. We're going to go home. Let's go down to the pool. Yeah, I like how they were just ready to kick back and like enjoy yeah. the rest of their vacation. The Romanian vacation. Done. Yeah, right. Kid <laughs> was like, let's go, to the, go pool. to the pool. <laughs> they, they go to the pool. And then one of the terrorists followed him there and he shoots up the pool in a really cheap looking scene. Then, uh, then Cage shoots him. Cage shoots him. And then flees the scene. Goes drives back, yeah. back to where Alexander Kareem is. Apparently there's no security. He just walks into his house again. He's like, never mind. Okay, uh, I'm killing you now. And then he does. And then that's the end of the movie. Then, no, then, he, then he's driving home. Oh, that's right. I forgot about he's this. He's driving yeah, yeah. home. He either he gets in a car wreck, I guess he turns into the front of a semi, it seems like. And then, uh, and, and it's ambiguous whether he does it on purpose, purpose or whether right. it's because he like loses consciousness or, or has like a episode or something for whatever reason and loses control of the car. 
But um, and then the the camera just shows uh, his grave in well, like a military graveyard. Yeah, which was like I can't imagine that was the ending that Schrader conceived of this movie, right? Oh, like, Miles, what? <laughs> um, oh. I I will show you okay. the ending that Schrader intended. Oh, so so should we talk about Dark? Yes. Okay. So basically, uh, this movie is about to come out. Uh, Schrader does like multiple social media posts and, and on the, and on interviews for the time, basically, you know, gives the entire rundown of like how the studio took final cut away from him, how they changed the music and the cinematography and, and, you know, basically just like ruined the movie that he directed and wrote. Yeah. And then he, he gets on, he gets Cage and Anton Yelchin, like I said, and, uh, and, and Reffin. Reffin on board, and and basically like everyone they all, all they all pose in T-shirts um, that uh, has the non-disparagement clause from their contract, like <laughs> so, printed on the T-shirt, just say, saying that they can't talk bad about the film, and right. and Paul Schrader's just like as as far as this film goes, I have no comment. <laughs> um, yeah, and he does like various interviews where he's a crotchety old man yeah. and says everything sucks and, he is and no one trusts his vision. You know, and this sort of thing. Shortly after this, he then releases a cut of basically using like uh, using pre-release prints and work prints. He stitches together uh, something that is more or less his initial vision. Yeah. Which he calls dark. And it's not even it's 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 not just that. That's what that's what I had read, too. But it's he, he got together with an editor um, who hadn't worked on dying of the light just, and they, yeah, they took a work work print of the film and then recut it. And the editor would take an iPhone and just film the monitor in different ways, like reframing stuff. Oh, and I didn't realize that then was, they that was cut, a part of it. Yeah. And it friends, it looks just like what you think that would look like. And it's really strange. You couldn't show this anywhere because he doesn't own the rights to, um, to, to, it, to dying it of the all. light. Yeah. yeah. So it's basically only available if you request it from like the UCLA archive and MoMA in New York. There's a couple other like institutes that you can request to see this, but then in a, kind of like the ultimate punk rock move Schrader <laughs> like some at some point in 2014 or shortly after it was just like fuck it and released his cut on BitTorrent. Yeah. Uh, yeah. and it has been since taken down so I, yeah, I couldn't so find we it. couldn't find a, a full copy of it but Dave do you want to explain yeah. what, what we're about to play? Well so I I found uh, on his website he is basically he spells all of that out and he's like but you can watch some clips from it on this uh, lecture that I gave at the International Film Festival Rotterdam, where he basically talks about how the making of Dying of the Light has informed the the w- where his career has gone since then. I should I feel like we haven't talked about this yet, but before he did this, I don't know if it was the the film directly before this, but he made The Canyons with uh, Lindsay Lohan and James Dean, um, which. I don't know if you've seen it. It's very bad. Um, and I mean, I heard, I was interested like everyone else, but then I heard how bad it was, so I, I avoided it. Lindsay Lohan is actually really good in it, um, for the record, but no, it's it's very bad. And so he, like, I don't know if that was a career low point, because even through the 90s and 2000s, like, he wasn't really making anything that was in the cultural conversation, at least. Um, but uh, it was definitely he appeared to be a joke. The frustration of making this film uh, led to Dog Eat Dog, which we're going to get to soon, which was his uh, next film and also stars Cage, which he says was kind of like a gonzo response to this. And then First Reformed, which is sort of like uh, the opposite of that. It's sort of a button down, um, whereas I guess Dog Eat Dog is very like over the top. First Reformed is very, very like cold. Should I plug this in? Do we want audio? Um, no, I, I feel like you just, just your reaction. Okay, okay cool. So, sorry, give me a second. <laughs> so this, this okay, is the so, very, very end. Yeah, so Dave's going to run these clips for me. And this is... Do you want to set up which one this well, is? Well, so in rather than rather than him going to uh, Mohammed Benir and then 
talking at him and not killing him um, and then going home and all that shit happening. Um, we have Cage just coming in the first time in uh, in his funny disguise. And uh, then as they talk, the dementia just like really hits him. And um, then I guess... You can describe what's happening oh, now. Oh, okay. So there is a there's a hallucination happening with like pitch down vocals and delay on everything and like a weird the colors like are yeah like like a red or pink filter smeared over everything. Dutch angles all over the place. Um, visibly shot yeah. on an iPhone, yeah. looking at a, a screen. Like you can see the grain of this, the LED screen or LCD screen or so whatever. This, so this hallucination. Oh, so he's reaching for the knife in his belt, but he's struggling to pull it out. I can't understand what the what Alexander Kareem's character is saying. Okay, he's he's comparing the Muslim Brotherhood to the CIA. America. Yeah. Yep. Um, fast forward. Fast forwarding a little still bit. Still happening. This this hallucination is still happening. It does um, seem to be getting more intense. Yeah. It's everything's like the cuts are happening quicker. The camera's just straight up shaking. shaking. This is what it sounds like. So it's also they're using all the or most of the same footage that was in the movie. So Cage is freaking out, screaming you, pointing at him. Right. Um, <laughs> I mean, this is certainly a more psychedelic take on it. Whether or not it makes for a more coherent movie, I, I don't it, know about that. Coherence is definitely out of the picture. Um, it, so maybe the issue was the studio tried to make it too coherent. Make it, yeah. I mean... I don't know if this was Schrader's original intention. So this, just, this now just looks like straight up the end of 2001. There's just colors. There's just, like, colors, there's just, just colors happening. There's like stock footage. There's light. There's bright lights. There's a superimposed highway over the colors. Squares, just geometric shapes, so this, moaning. This looks like the visuals that like a techno DJ would have on the monitor behind them, like <laughs> while they're playing. Yeah, that's uh, exactly it. This is like an art film at this point. He said that uh, he was inspired by Stan Brakhage. That makes actually total sense. See, I would enjoy. I think. I would enjoy this movie more. Yeah. I, I don't know that I would like sign on board as like it being a better movie necessarily, but it would certainly be way more interesting it's to sit through. So much more interesting. Um, anyway, fast forward, like this basically this, like it scene goes on for like five minutes. Dude. Right. They, they take that interminable conversation that we were talking about and it just grows into just psychedelic, just madness. Um, and then, You hear a woman say, Evan, come upstairs. And then uh, you see Nick Cage's grave. So. Huh. Yeah. So, that, is, that is really interesting. It's really interesting. Again, I, I don't know how much of that, of dark, truly is like Schrader's uh, initial idea that got taken away and how much of it is just his response to being like, you know, to feeling like he lost artistic control. So he just went just, uh, like in the opposite direction. Right. Right. Um, it's really just interesting. Yeah, I, man. Um, the thing that I, uh, that initially came to me was that it reminded me of Twin Peaks, the return, um, especially episode eight. 
And uh, is that the that's the nuclear? Uh -huh. Yeah. Okay. And then in the interview after it, Paul Schrader says that he made this like the summer before that came out, and uh -huh. then he saw it, and he was like, "Oh yeah, so right. David Lynch is doing the same thing." And it is like there's a part earlier in this video, if I can find it, um, where he should. This probably doesn't make good podcast listening, honestly, but like he shows his cut of when they get to Romania mm -hmm. and. And it feels very Twin Peaksy. There's yeah. like a there's a saxophone player playing uh, in the background, just like <laughs> you know, very much jazz. Right. And like the lighting is very blue, and just it just feels. Oh yeah, I see it. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. If anyone's interested, it just as like a as an artifact, as a cultural artifact, like finding dark made this whole thing much more interesting to me because dying of the light really doesn't feel like a film. It feels so it feels like a contractual obligation. Yeah. And and it's it's weird that like stylistically, like it's on par or worse than some of the other sort of direct to DVD stuff that we've been watching, like um, the frozen ground or anything like it's really, it, it it's not a, a step above any of that, but it seems to have less to say. And, and um, somehow, somehow <laughs> that's that. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's about all I have to say. Like, I, honestly, there's not too many things that we, or I personally could say about it. Um, that haven't already been said. Um, and really, I feel like I have more to say about Paul Schrader's career in general than I do about this movie specifically. Yeah. Um, which I feel like we covered anyway. Yeah. Um, it sucks. Don't, uh, I would not recommend it. Even if you like Paul Schrader, even if you like Nick Cage, even if you like Anton Yelchin, <laughs> yeah. I would not recommend seeing this movie. Yeah, it's not... Yeah, it it because it doesn't it doesn't feel like it's doing any of those artists like good to no. you know to have this cluttering up your your perception of them and whatever he Paul Schrader was trying to do with it what the studio tries to do with their cut is to basically make it uh, it yeah, make it one of uh, a revenge fantasy you know because right. there's some there's something about um, the story too that you know for whatever reason doesn't doesn't get delved into of this this idea that like um you, the cia failed to get this guy and so it's up to this like lone man to go and have like mano y mano face down have this like showdown like you could say all kinds of things with that but the, what the studio wanted to do with it was to make it you know, taken or whatever the fuck, you, you, yeah, you know, right. kind of like dad entertainment that um, it just doesn't have the bones to be like, it's, there's just not enough story for it to function like that. So it can, Oh, like the, the, at least dark does something interesting and unique with it. Cause without, uh, without any of that, without, I mean, the cinematographer complained that um, like you said, they, uh, Schrader had this whole like idea of how the color palette would play out throughout the film for right. like, if they're in different, like in America, it would be all like Browns and sepia and in Africa, it would be like yellows and stuff like that, which I, you know, I don't think that's like a revolutionary idea, but like the color palette that we see in the film is like very bland and boring and doesn't really do any heavy lifting. So yeah, I don't know. It's just a, just a big nothing. Uh, so what's the next movie we have? Outcast. Is that what it is? That's what it looks like. What What is that? <laughs> Good question. Uh, a mysterious warrior teams up with the daughter and son of a deposed Chinese emperor to defeat their cruel brother who seeks their death. Wait, this is the this is the Hayden Christensen one that he did in, in like it's a big like yeah. co-production with China. Yeah, exactly. Or some, uh -huh. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, and co-stars Hayden Christensen unfortunately. Oh, wait, you said, uh, before we started rolling that you saw an interview with Schrader, uh, where he talked about talking with cage about it. After. Oh yeah. What is oh yeah. Yeah. So, so just real quick, it, it was a quick, quick interview that he did. Um, it was, I, I don't even remember what it was for. It was just for like one of these like type like masterclass type of things where he was basically saying that like dying of the light 
after they mutilated it, he he that that was, he and Cage came together over that experience of mm. seeing the movie ruined. He said that that was what led to them doing Dog Eat Dog, and then consequently, right, like reformed. led to him doing First Reform yeah. is is basically you know whatever Cage and he whatever revelations they had uh, uh, about this experience in their artistic lives uh -huh. kind of you know made him put his future work on a different track than it would have been on otherwise. He didn't really get into specifics of it. So really, really this movie was probably a gift then. Yeah. I mean, if it <laughs> gave know? us first reformed, then yeah. that's one good thing that came out of it. And it gave us another Schrader cage film, whether yeah. or not it's a good yeah, one. We'll, we'll find we'll, out. We'll find out. But I, I don't know if that's necessarily like a, not a good thing. Even yeah. If it's not a great film, his career um, probably needed a kick in the ass. Yeah. To be so. honest. Um, and also I feel like this movie coming like at the nadir of, cages direct to video mm. thing it, this it's okay that this can kind of just get swept under the rug yeah. with a lot of the other stuff around this time it's like we don't really have to remember it yeah know? like i and i don't i just don't feel anything about it like it's it it's just a nothing of a thing right. so and it was another one of those it was released simultaneously to vod as right. well as a select number of theaters probably just on the basis of cage being in it honestly maybe yeah. schrader's name being attached to it if if even that at that point in time it cost them five million to make which is which is pretty low budget very in, low in budget comparison to i'm sure what schrader was used to making movies for in the yeah. 70s and 80s no you know like uh, and one million of that went to cage oh really yeah so it was yeah. really like four million to right. get i mean yeah so it, and it looks it looks low budget feels low budget yeah it's weird but first reformed looks i guess low budget too but it's beautiful it works in its low budgetness mm -hmm. somehow. Um, a little nugget that uh, I, I was watching Cage interviews about this film and he doesn't really say anything. He does say that his process at this point, he's like, I'm 50 years old now. And so I have to get the dialogue into my body. So he reads all of his scripts over and over again while he's like running and weightlifting in the gym, like doing weight, weight training. And uh, until he just remembers it all and then he can infuse it with what he calls the sacred stuff which is emotion and uh, yeah. stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, dig it. It's cool. That, that's, that's very cool. It's very cool. <laughs> well, that's it. Yeah. Uh, so Outcast next time. And, Outcast then, next and time. then after Outcast, that's the end of 2014. God, it's felt like these years are going to take so long now. I know they He's really are pumping them out. I feel like everything probably up to Mandy or like yeah. maybe what, I don't know. What's the one he did with Selma Blair where they like kill their kids? Mom and dad. Mom and dad. That one I feel like maybe will be the beginning of 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 the new of the, the cage renaissance of the, of the cage renaissance. Dude, um, yeah, for sure. Uh, but oh, well, okay. Sorry to keep like stretching this outro out forever. But do you want to talk about some of the new things that just came to light that are on his docket? Well, I for like twenty the end like 2019, 2020. We talked about the the color out of space, which I'm right. really excited to which see. Which finally premiered at, at Beyond Fest. Yeah, I missed last it. week. It was sold out like within minutes. So I, yeah. but, um, what else is, what else is coming but out? But that, well, that trailer that you sent me. Oh yeah. Yeah. Wait, what's it called? Uh, um, uh, here I'll, I'll find it. Grand reef or something. Grand Isle. Grand Isle. Yeah. Um, which looks like sort of just like a cut and paste of a bunch of other movies, but it's got, uh, it's very pulpy Zandali vibes, which is always Great. welcome. Always yeah. welcome. It's got, as you said, um, you're enjoying cage experimenting with his facial hair at yeah, this point in his yeah. career. I feel like as he's getting older, he's experimenting with his facial hair. He had that beard and Mandy. He had the weird, you know, in this trailer for grand Isle, he has like a, uh, like a handlebar that like goes all the way down in like into a beard yeah, almost. Like the, it's like a like weird, Hulk Hogan yeah, yeah. It's 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 like the handlebar straight into the chops look, which is an interesting <laughs> look. We should say too, um, this I don't know what his relationship with Anton Yelchin was after this film, though I, I he expressed a lot of uh respect for Anton Yelchin. Uh, he described him as a badass and said that he's you know, he, he really liked their chemistry too. And, uh, after Yelchin died, uh, there's a documentary that came out last year, I think yeah. called Love Antosha that Cage, uh, narrates. narrated, which is Cage's first narration. Mm -hmm. we'll, so we'll I think that, that. that speaks to yeah. something. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and also in Weston news, 
uh, Weston Cage's oh, D-Day yeah. movie dropped at some point since our last episode. Yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, I, I do think we should watch it. I'm excited. We have to. Excited right? for him. It's, it's, I think it's required as a supplemental uh, homework assignment. <laughs> oh, he's going to be in a, another Abel Ferrara movie. Or wait, yeah, has he been in an Abel Ferrara movie or we just talked about Abel Ferrara? No, I think Abel Ferrara just did the original Bad Lieutenant. Right. But I don't think Cage has actually been in an Abel Ferrara Damn. movie. He's also going to be in a movie called Pig that's about... Uh, oh, yes. It's like somebody steals his pig or something and he has to find it. Yeah, essentially he's <laughs> like, it's like taken, crossed with <laughs> like a revenge fantasy, I guess. Uh, <laughs> uh I don't know much about it except that except for that one line uh, description, which I'm on board. Yeah. Oh, I don't really have a choice. We're gonna have to see it anyway. But oh, I think there's a Cotton Club director's cut that's coming out too. Yo, the Cotton Cotton Club Encore. Really? Yeah. Um, it came out at the Telluride Film Festival uh, last uh, 2017. Oh, and I'm it's com- coming to home video soon. I'm on board, man. See, this is what's kind of cool. Like when directors, when they have decades behind them and they have more pull and they have gotten a lot more out of their system. Yeah. When they go back and they revisit movies that they made like in their youth, you know, he found it says Francis Ford Coppola found an old Betamax video copy of his original cut and has spent $500,000 of his own money restoring it. Wow. This could be. Anything from great to a complete train wreck. Dude, I want to see. And I'm fine with it either way. Hell yeah. Well, once again, thanks for joining us. And uh, we'll see you next time on Heat Seeking Panther. (laughs) I didn't cue it up. No, I thought you were going to cue it up. Okay, you got to do it again. I want to see how long you can actually make it last. Heat Seeking Panther. smoke uh on set i'm i think there's a good seth rogan interview about it yeah i I know that sounds like a weird thing to say but i think that i read an interview for like one of his many movies where he smokes weed in it and he explained like how they do it yeah there it's similarly like i think jonah hill said something about on war dogs where they he snorted so much fake cocaine it like it actually like hurt his nose um but uh wait, wait was it as bad as what what were they what were they snorting in that cage movie it, it was like fake that he said like really fucked him up was it was it baby powder or am i yeah yeah no i think it was <laughs> <laughs> oh god but neither seth rogan nor jonah hill are uh involved in 2014's dying of the light